it's a it's a constant burden that you carry but that's a burden that you chose to carry so the possibility of an intelligent intervention is not there what you could do is write something and then post it there and then get out of that space it makes me feel like there is something that i have uh, that i am in control of maybe a headscarf we have seen some extremely distressing visuals come out of iran in the last two weeks after a young iranian woman masamini allegedly died in the custody of the state's stringent morality police protests broke out in the country not just to raise a voice about amini but took on a larger meaning and became about protests against the compulsory hijab enforced by the state of iran Incidentally around the same time the Supreme Court of India was listening to arguments against the hijab ban imposed in educational institutions of Karnataka parallels were drawn comparisons were made and dismissed today we will be discussing what the hijab means in a place like Iran versus its meaning for the students of Karnataka and where does choice feature in all of this You're listening to News and Views, the Quinn's podcast series where we introduce you to some of the greatest minds across different fields through in-depth interviews. I'm Fatima Khan and today we are going to be speaking to Sabah Naqvi, senior journalist and Nabila Jamil, Supreme Court and High Court lawyer. Thank you so much for joining me Sabah and Nabila. It is really a pleasure to have you both take out time from your schedules and join us today. Sabah, I want to start with you. You know, for a lot of us our exposure to Iran has been limited to pretty much what the western media has told us all our lives and that has been our vantage point to Iran. Uh you have been to Iran in the past. You have met people there. You ex- have life lived experiences in Iran. uh tell us a little bit about when you went there and how was it like especially interacting with the women there so iran is one of the most fascinating places in the world one can go to the situation of women there is very different to what you would see in the arab speaking parts of the world i went for a trek you will find women who are trekking up and down they're very modern they're very uh, sort of uh, you know independently walking up and down so the idea of the male escort always being there is not necessary in the way the iranians have perceived their life however i must say one thing iran also had a very developed elite but there are counter arguments that the revolution and the chadar also enabled rural women to come out of their homes and join the work workforce mm-hmm. now i'm not an expert on that but right. what i can say is that women are there all over they are visible yeah. but they have to wear the chadar about the morality police in the time of the revolution there were reports of them going house to house to check what is happening and now uh, i gather that it's again again under the president president it's become stricter again iran is full of contradictions and but the at the end of the day in my view very firmly a woman should have a choice in the matter uh because i have been to iran i can understand the rage and the frustration the other thing about iran is that uh, because of the economic blockage now iran is a very it has a it has a lot of internal wealth from its oil yet there has been uh, very little cash uh, prosperity because of the uh, because of the economic sanctions against iran but i'll say that look at iranian cinema look at yeah. the novels that iranians have produced so you have all of that in iran and you have gone and imposed these very rigid rules on those people so there will be a section which will uh, which has now just a dam has burst among the mm-hmm. women 
And the data that I have is that Iranian women are among the most educated in that region. They have they join they are part of the workforce, be it in education everywhere. You know, so imagine you're empowered, you're earning, you're doing everything, and you're told you have to cover yourself all the time. That's the only way to be. I, I have nothing against those who wish to do so. No, I mean, thank you for telling us all of that because, like I said, for people who have not been to Iran uh, or haven't followed Iran that closely, all of this is just so easy to get uh, lost. And Abila, you know, last week what we also saw was that what was happening in Iran was in fact cited by the Karnataka state in the arguments uh, made in the Supreme Court uh, favoring the hijab ban in educational institutes. Uh, first, how fair is it to lift something that is happening in a completely different part of the world? Is it fair at all? Can parallels be drawn at all? And B, I'd love if you can talk a little bit about your personal experience of being a hijabi, a young hijabi woman. The biggest problem with these arguments is that they are not very bona fide. Like they are not talking about uh, gender justice or women empowerment. We can see the malice. Those people who are there, women who are on the streets. Now my experience of being a hijabi in the court uh, during the hijab proceedings, it has been very overwhelming. It has been very empowering. It has also been very difficult, you know, because people see you as a hijabi, but you are there as a lawyer. So that's a very yeah. difficult uh, position to be. Yeah. That was just an incidental thing. But then you are confined to what you are wearing. So that's a problem that is there. But a lot of people ask me to, you know, to go and stand in front so that, you know, the judges can see you. And if media is there, media can see you. And I used to tell them politely, you see, you, that's the problem. You can't, you can't confine people uh, to be, you know, just mere props. You're more than that. You're more than that. We are there to assist senior advocates. Right? We're working on the case. The merit of the case is more important to us than just mere theatrics of it. So that that's a problem also, that's also empowering. So it's a, it's a mixed feeling to be there. You know, a couple of months ago, we at the Quint, we made a documentary on the hijab ban in Karnataka. <clears throat> I went to Karnataka, I spent several days with the young hijabi petitioners and I came back just so enthused because they're just such incredible, articulate, young women who are just so brave. But then something like this happens in Iran. And you know, the fact of the matter is that we do live in a very globalized world. What happens in one part of the world does the mere optics uh, end up affecting the politics of another part of the world. And for an average uh, middle class Indian watching all of this play out, even if they do want to empathize with the hijabi girls in Karnataka, perhaps something that is happening in Iran would dissuade them from that argument of choice. Um, and I was just wondering, you know, uh, Sabah, as, as someone who's been a journalist for so many years now, and how do you kind of continue to make sure that people empathize with the victims of, of the hijab ban in India, whilst also uh, not undermining or trivializing what women are going through in Iran? This hijab issue is so complex that most public consumption in an eye of cell phone, instant thing, it's, it requires a level of nuance to understand. Yeah, You know, India is uh, not an individualistic society. It is a society divided into communities, caste, sex, and all of that. You know, I was much younger then, but right after the war on terror, I came across an Egyptian woman. I, we were at the same fellowship in Oxford. She was a journalist from Al-Aram newspaper. And she chose to put on the hijab. And she was actually the one in the eye of the storm. You must remember, we were in the best right after 9-11. But she was so empowered 
in her own way. My own grandmother, who was a friend of Isma Chukdai and all that, she actually gave up uh, the wearing the any burqa. And all. Now I don't know the reason. Like I don't know, Nabila, is did you? Is it a family tradition that you cover yourself, or is it an individual choice? No, it's an it's an individual thing. Like my mother doesn't cover. My so, sister, yeah. Even my grandmother doesn't use it. For a lot of people. Uh, just the idea of hijab can mean so many things, right? For some people, it can be adherence to a certain religiosity. For some, it can be identity, holding on to your identity in these times. Um, Nabila, if, if you don't mind sharing, I know it's a deeply personal thing, but if you're... Yeah, yeah I am comfortable. So I, it's a very funny story. I started doing it in uh, when I was in uh, 12th class. So I took science and that was a very uh, depressive phase I was going through. I don't know whether you know it was depression or something else. I'm just using that term lightly. But then, you know, I uh, started reading a lot about uh, faith and there was something that gave me a lot of peace knowing it, uh, knowing about it. So just as a manifestation of it, just to, you know, just to be more closer to God, I started doing it. And so it was 2014 when I did my 12. So there was this regime shift and then I took law and uh, all these political things were going on. We were there, we were thinking that we need to assert our identities more. So that was, it was a mixture of all. I always say it has genesis in my faith. It's very much uh, there in my faith, but it also has other contours, like it has a political contours. It's very close to my identity now. It makes me feel very disciplined. It gives me certain kind of control over me. It makes me feel like there is something that I have, uh, that I am in control of. Maybe a head stuff. So mm-hmm. it just makes me feel very disciplined about it. So they, uh, it, it's very, it's very, uh, very intimate. It's very close to me. So that's, that's there. Yeah, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I just have to bring this in that, you know, my, my mother, she's a doctor and she's an MD medicine. And I think when she was in her late 40s or early 50s is when she started wearing the hijab um you know no one in my dad's family has ever worn it and initially just so um strange almost for her patients you know because they have seen her a certain way and now she's wearing the hijab and going there and partly i imagine that your friend or my mom's friends maybe for all of them initially this is something that is difficult to digest so much of our consumption sabha i think you briefly mentioned about hijab as a concept is from social media i feel like from all sides, the conversation ends up becoming so toxic. But they've been trolling these women, saying they're, oh, but you don't, you don't understand faith. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, how do you guys kind of work your way around it when it comes to something as sensitive as hijab? A lot of social media. Uh, sometimes we can use it as a, and I've learned this the hard way, because uh, sometimes we can use it to make a point home, drive a point. But if you have a Muslim name, today you will, there is an entire army just waiting to target you. And if you're a Muslim woman, you you know, the women as it is are objectified. So the possibility of an intelligent intervention is not there. What you could do is write something and then post it there and then get out of that space. You will find that there will be Hindu journalists. There will be women, but non, let me put it non-Muslim journalists. They can do that. Now, the question is that in the case of some women, and I'm sure they're there, they're being forced to wear the hijab also. Mm-hmm. They can't wear jeans, they can't carry cell phones. We've heard stories like this, right? If in India they take away the choice legally, if the court takes away the choice of girls to wear the hijab, there will have to be an adjustment with that in uh, education institutes. There will have to be an adjustment because you cannot violate the law. Yeah. 
Nabila, for you, I'm I'm just you know sometimes I feel like I cannot even begin to empathize what it it's like to be a hijabi woman in India today. Uh, personally, for you, I know these months would have been tough. But how do you kind of continue to have a a conversation or just continue to focus on your work? So it's a it's a constant burden that you carry, but that's a burden that you chose to carry. So I have been there. Uh, one of my friend lives in Islamabad East, and I remember I went to her home once, and her uh, then her you know her landowner called her and said, you know you can't have a Muslim. Do you have a Muslim friend? She wears a hijab, and I saw her. So these things are there. You keep you know witnessing them, but now I how I feel it. I feel that I do not require. we do not require sympathies we either if somebody feel anything either that person can do something about it or that person can just you know see us as normal persons that's the least they can do but it was never about us people living in delhi people living in you know urban cities who can speak in english who can articulate how we are feeling it was always about those uh, teenage girls in karnataka and it will always be about them last week i saw there were multiple debates on the on hijab uh, done by multiple leading uh, media houses where there was possibly one muslim woman in a panel of six people how do we decide who gets to speak on what do you think hindu women uh, non muslims liberals uh, do you think they get to have a voice in this do you think that voice should be platformed uh, or or do you think it's better if muslim women hijabi women kind of take the conversation forward very tricky question you ask because it leads to the larger question that is now raging in the west you know and the dalit politics also only dalits can speak for dalits only blacks can speak for i don't agree with that actually to be very honest of course it's true i mean only uh, only a muslim experiences certain things and you know but uh, i don't think we can take away the agency for others to speak on this you know otherwise we give our our agency we can only talk about muslim issues however the way the uh, the spectacle of the television media is designed only to do that and yet at the same time you also have this very interesting phenomena of people in this age of false false five minutes fame who want to write about women's rights without understanding the nuances all of these people who position themselves that i know better i know abuse better i know violence better i know uh, communalism better than you this is the really pathetic sad part of the social media world no i agree and i agree that none of us do want to live in echo chambers uh, nabila finally i just want to end with you going forward when people try and argue that okay there is this big thing happening in iran as bad as in the indian government is they're only snatching education they're not killing them you know that's that's actually the, the parallel that has been drawn that's something that has been said uh, as a lawyer <laughs> and someone who's great at making arguments i'm going to turn towards you at this one and ask you how you will kind of uh, navigate this so it's uh, i don't know how law accommodates you know because it's so black and white i don't know how it accommodates emotions it's a very uh, it's it's difficult to understand that when karnataka was happening we were in a place where everybody was asking us questions this way why why is hijab mandatory uh, why is islam so rigid and there were some muslims who were giving answers see it's, it's choice it's very individualistic and there were others who were saying it's a mandatory uh, practice of faith now it's the other way around it's happening in iran and again we are the ones who are being asked questions so as you said ki as you said that it's it's a it's a bigger question who gets to decide who asks the questions 
because why are we always giving answers so i want to shift that burden sometimes i feel it's very difficult to have that see it's a, there is this nuance and it's very easy to understand uh, understand it's not very difficult it's just it's it, anybody who doesn't who is not getting it is a person who doesn't want to get it the nuance it's about choice women in karnataka want to wear it we want to wear it and women in iran some women were protesting and a lot of women were not even uh, a lot of women might not be protesting also but they don't want to wear it so it's it's as easy as that now it's it's not a very difficult thing to understand and even if after everything like after all the unlearning so called unlearning that takes place on social media if somebody is not able to understand this then i think that person has chosen not to understand it because it's very under, uh, very very basic it's a very basic thing to understand News and Views is a Quint original podcast executively produced by Shelly Walia and Ritu Kapoor. This episode was hosted by Fatima Khan, produced by Pratik Lidhu and edited by Anjali Parlor. Theme music by BMG Production Music. Special thanks to our guests Saban Akwi and Nabila Jamil. You were listening to the Quint's podcast. 